Hi, everybody, and welcome to Life TK, the podcast where we talk to women writers, editors, and journalists in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond about the jobs they did when they were in their 20s. My name's Amanda Woidis, and I'm your host. My interview today is with Valentina Valentini, a freelance entertainment, culture, and travel writer who's been published in Vanity Fair, Variety, Vice, wow, a lot of V's here, the LA Times, the BBC, Refinery29, Departures, basically all of your favorite magazines. Seriously, the list goes on. One of her essays I think you'll like is titled, When I Became the Boss, He Broke Up With Me. Find it on the Times website. I caught Valentina right as she was about to move across the pond to London for a creative writing program, but I was so happy she took the time to talk to me about her 20s. I mean, 10 days before moving overseas. Wow. Valentina is a hustler, if you didn't gather from the huge list of publications I just named. And I think you're really going to like her story about how she got her start in writing. Let's go to the interview now. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you volunteering to do this. No, I mean, I'm excited you wanted to. I mean, it's it's good. It's good for both of us. So I'm a freelance journalist. I have been writing um, in the entertainment industry for just over eight years now and transitioned into travel writing about nearly two years ago now. Um, So that includes, you know, like cultural pieces, but also sort of like destination, listicle things. Um, It could be adventure stories and all of the above. And I still do the entertainment writing as well. Um, I am based in L.A., but only for the next 10 days, I moved to London. Um, Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I'm moving to London to start a two-year master's program in creative nonfiction, and I'll be writing my first book there and continuing to freelance a little bit, but but mainly focusing on school and and a book. That's awesome. Congratulations. What's your book going to be about? Thank you. I'm not I'm not talking about it yet, only because oh, okay. I figured out like the scope of it. Um like there's no like there's no title, there's no scope, but it is it is autobiographical. Like it is it's a memoir. I just don't know if I'm doing sort of like a one piece of my history, um, or if I'm doing something bigger. Yeah, that's really the degree is really exciting. So Yeah. Well I yeah, look forward to reading exciting. it. That's like my favorite thing to read memoir. Oh so I will Thanks. definitely be checking it out when you're finished. Cool. cool, cool. So, yeah, do you maybe want to take me through your 20s? Okay. Um, okay, so when I was 19, I left um, the university that I was attending in Boston, Northeastern University. I was just really disillusioned with the political science degree that I was pursuing and the big, like, university, you know, classes with people in them and I just didn't know what I was doing and I thought I knew what I was doing and I pride myself on really like being a planner knowing what I'm getting myself into but 
I wasn't happy with it, and it was a pretty rash decision to get in a car with a guy I didn't know very well but was dating at the time and moved to San Diego, to Pacific Beach, San Diego. Um, when I got there, I did not have a job lined up, a plan, or anything, which I think is absolutely something that you can do in your early 20s. Like, that's the best part about being in your early 20s is that it, that's okay to do that. You really shouldn't be doing that, or maybe you really don't want to be doing that around 30 or even your late 20s. Um, yeah. But when I got there, yeah, I knew I had. I mean, I had worked in restaurants. Um, and I even had experience working in law firms because of my degree at Northeastern. I had been interning at some law firms in Boston. So I knew that I had some work experience. Um, when I got there, I landed um, two jobs, like, almost right away. One was through a friend of a friend um, at a sports bar. And then the other job I ended up getting was through Craigslist, and it was a part-time legal assistant at a small law firm downtown. And I basically had vowed to never work for lawyers again because I thought my experience in Boston was so terrible. And I just felt so bad for lawyers and their lives and the way that it all worked <laughs> out. But I mean, to be honest, I just, I needed more money than just that sports bar gig. And yeah. this was a really well-paying job. And I figured I'd go into the interview. I, I didn't even think I would really get it, but they hired me on the spot. So that felt, honestly, that's just like an ego boost, right? Somebody hiring you yeah. on the spot, it feels really good. And especially here I was like 20 years old with barely any work experience. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get whatever it was. I let's say it was probably like $15 an hour at the time, which for 10, what was that, 13 years ago, that's yeah, pretty good. Really high. <laughs> yeah, really high. Um, I basically went into that job, and their filing system was – it was it was a mess. I remember being really bad, and I am <laughs> anally organized. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is my dream job." <laughs> like, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe that I was going to get to completely reorganize their file holding system, their file system <laughs> from you know years years worth of clients and like alphabetizing and making new labels. And I know I sound crazy right now. I get that. Um, I really do love it. It's just common for me. It makes me really excited to make new pretty labels. <laughs> yeah, well, um, plus, like, anyone who has worked in the office or just existed in the world, you know that people are not organized. I feel like we don't value organization as a society as much as we should because disorganized people are the worst. Like, they waste time. Oh, my God. You are yes, funny. You, like preaching you, to the choir. Yeah. Yes, we are on the same page. Yeah, honestly, I think, I don't know if my mother is going to like this, but this is a direct result from my mother being one of the most disorganized people I know. <laughs> she, yeah. she makes notes, like, by hand on hundreds of different pieces of paper, just, like, scrap pieces of paper, and, and then she, like, I can't even get into it. It's cr so that's what I grew up with, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be like that. You know that emoji with the hearts for eyes? That's me right now. I love organizing so much. Seriously, if I could switch careers, freelance life organizer. I couldn't find a figure for how much money companies lose due to disorganization every year, but let's just go ahead and say it's millions of dollars. So, you know, I was there for about, 
I think it was only after maybe about six months and they asked me to go full time. And I said, yes. Um, my main mentor there was attorney Rebecca Lack Mowbray. And she just, she was hard on me, like, especially when I started to write to, like, help her write letters and then eventually help write some briefs even. But honestly, she was probably the first person that really stamped down on my writing skills and helped pave the way for the, the type of journalist that I am today. She was a stickler for good grammar. And I had been, I had done well throughout all my schooling in English and, you know, always got good grades there. So I was fine with grammar. Like, I thought I was fine until I met Rebecca. <laughs> she yeah. really, I mean, she taught me things that I just never even, never was even taught in other other classes. Um, another thing that she did specifically teach me, and this was because of the nature of what I was writing, um, when she started to train me how to write demand letters, like when you bring suit to somebody else, you know, telling the facts of the story and your monetary demand from them, it it made me really not afraid to sort of get to the point of, of asking for something. Um, as a woman in the world, we can default to being afraid. I, I know grown women who are afraid to call the cell phone company and ask for something that they 100% deserve, like, yeah. <laughs> like whatever it may be, you know, some mistake on their account. A short list of things I've been afraid to ask for. A raise, a promotion, a recommendation letter, a performance review, time off to go to a conference, a vacation, a half day, to leave work an hour early because I was sick. Three years later, when I told them that I was going to leave um, them to go back to school because I did want to finally finish my degree, having dropped out from Northeastern, you know, she came to me and said that they would help me pay for law school if I wanted to and continue wow. to work for them part-time. Yeah. And that's a really, really really hard thing to turn down but I had, I had to I, I just knew my heart wasn't in it you know three years in I had completely reorganized filing system so I felt like my <laughs> job my job was complete there yeah you accomplished I mean that really I like that sounds like a lot of work like I imagine a legal office that's nothing to sneeze at like that's a lot of documents, probably. So it, it was. It, it was. Something I've learned working in an office is, like, if you see a project that you want to do, don't waste time asking people for permission to do it. Just, like, do it. Because the way companies are organized, like, there's so much time wasted mm -hmm. just, like, clearing it through people. It's like, no, just I learned that the hard way. Just do it. Yeah, if you're working in a big, a bigger company, for sure. Like time, I can't tell you how much time is wasted on red tape, on red tape, and and things like yeah. that, and getting approvals. It's it's something that having worked for myself for the better part of a decade, now I look, I can look in and see that happening and be like, oh my god, you guys are. I can't tell you how much time you're wasting. 
the world has just stopped spinning because we're wasting time. And and anybody else who works for themselves and doesn't need approval for things, uh, their world is spinning. Like, get on yeah. the same world as I am, please. Yeah. <laughs> Catch up, please. Please. Yeah. So yeah. while you were working at that office, you knew that you didn't want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Were you just kind of content staying there while you try to figure it out? I was because of the money. Yeah. That being that comfortable at that young of an age with the salary would let me sort of not worry so much about the future. And I was like, well, I'm doing good work. I like what I'm doing. I'm learning things and I'm making good money. So I, I did know that I was always going to go back to school. That was never a question for me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what I wanted to do for sure. And the the dream really like from a young young age the dream was always just to be a movie star like I know that's ridiculously yeah. cliche but that's what I thought I was like I'm just gonna be a movie star obviously yeah. I'm gonna be Julia Roberts like that's gonna work out and you know <laughs> I realized like when I kept getting cast in in the chorus um, of my local musical theater production and not cast as the lead I was like well maybe this isn't going to work out so well. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, whatever. That was a bunch of local politics anyway, so maybe I was good enough for the lead. I just, my mom didn't make enough costumes or something. Um, oh, man, but... this is like two digs on your mom. So we're... <laughs> we're up to like two. No, that okay. wasn't a dig on my mom. That was a dig on like the, the politics. Like she, no, I whatever. I can't save myself, can I? <laughs> I think it's funny, though. So you knew you wanted to go back to school, and you yes, I knew I wanted turned to go back down to that great offer for them to pay for law school. I did because I wanted to get my degree, and I found a school that basically was, like, incredibly inexpensive and incredibly easy to graduate from, and it was Cal State San Marcos. So it was in northern, in, like, North County, San Diego, and the degree yeah. was in communication. So there was no, you know, thesis due at the end of it, no big paper, nothing, just regular, like two more years. I needed to do two more years of reading and writing and speaking. And I was like, this is great. Like, I can do all three of those things. And I think it'll be really fun. And it ended up being really great. I had a good experience there. And um, the teachers were good. I mean, for being a state school, like, I I had no complaints about my education there and regardless of it being quote unquote easy, it still was a good education. Yeah. I went to state school too. I think it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm still paying off like the Northeastern loans as opposed to Mm -hmm. the state school, like that's all paid for. Yeah. So had I finished my time at Northeastern, I'd still be in a lot more debt. Yeah. And, and you know what? Nobody cares where I graduated from anyways. Literally nobody, nobody's asked me that ever and I write for Vanity Fair, you know? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, so that was sort of my, like, hey, I know I can go get my degree, and I'm going to move up to L.A. after that, and I'm going to work in film. So it was no longer I'm going to be a movie star. It was like I know that there's legitimate work, you know, careers within the film industry that don't include being Julia Roberts. So I want to look into that. And so I was thinking more about, um, publicity. I thought PR would be something I would be good at and moved up to LA at that point. And it was the middle of the writer strike. 
It was around oh. 2008, 2009 is when I moved up here. Yeah. So the writer's strike happened in 2008. So basically the first thing that got cut was like marketing and PR. Yeah. Like those budgets were slashed and those departments were slashed. So it was a really bad time to try and get a job in the industry. And that was one of the first times actually that I ever felt that struggle that I think 20 somethings now are feeling all over the place because of the way mm-hmm. the economy is. I felt it for the first time, not until I was 26 and trying to get a job up here. Um, and that was scary. Like that did not feel good at all. Cause I was like, I am smart and I am educated and I'm well-spoken. I was like, this is crazy. How am I not getting a job? And and I, I just couldn't. I couldn't get a job. So I ended up getting a job as a, a nanny. Um, and they took me to Europe, and that was way better. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Mm-hmm. I literally put up a sign in my nephew's daycare. and was like, hey, I'm new to town. I have lots of babysitting experience. Please hire me. And the one and only phone call I got from that was this. British man on the other end being like, hi, do you have a valid passport? And I was like, yes, I do. Let's go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being Phil Trail. He's a director. And so I was like, great. Like, this is my in for the industry. But also, I get to go travel with them. And they had three children. The one, the third was a brand new newborn baby. And I was their full-time nanny. And I traveled with the mom. And the dad was Phil was shooting the film, um, Chalet Girl, which was like Felicity Jones' breakout film. Um, oh, cool. So I got to hang out with Felicity Jones and the rest of the cast in the Swiss Alps and, and take care of babies. And I was in heaven. Like, that was great. That was awesome. But it was a dream sequence of like, oh, like you just got saved and taken out of L.A. where you can't get hired at all. So forget about all of that and just live in this dream for now, which I did. I did until I got back to L.A. and then continued to nanny for them. But as the kids got older, um, obviously they they needed me less. You know, they started to get into school. And that's when I started. I started writing. I started writing when I, even when I was in Europe with them. I wrote one of my first articles about their cinematographer on on that film um, because I knew I had access to him. And that's the thing is when you move to Hollywood, quote unquote Hollywood, right? Like yeah. you, the biggest thing is, is access and right. knowing people. And here I was, I knew people and I was on set with this guy. So I was able to write about him. And the reason, I guess I should explain, the reason I picked the cinematographer and not, like, write about the director or the actors or whatever was because I had had, through my trying to get work in publicity and PR, I had contacts at the Cinematographers Guild um, and used those, I leveraged those contacts to start to give them a little bit of work, which is kind of just like internal newsletter stuff, but they were hiring okay. me to to write little little pieces. So that's why that's I did. That's, yeah. that's when I put two and two together. Instead of being like, oh, let me see if I can interview Brooke Shields, who, was, who played the mom in the movie, mm-hmm. and, you know, and let me go see if I can pitch that to people. Like that didn't even cross my mind at that point. I didn't know how it worked at all. So I just put, you know, who do I know and who do I have access to and, you know. That, that, yeah. that started it. And then eventually you figured out the rest. It was a lot of self-teaching. Um, yeah. 
because I didn't know what journalism was, like, in terms of a job. Obviously, I knew what it was. I didn't know what it was in terms of a career or how to do it or that I was even starting to be a journalist. I didn't realize that for a really long time. Um, I mean, not a really long time, like a couple years into it, I was like, oh, like I'm writing news stories. I'm interviewing people and interviewing out their stories. This is journalism. I just never thought, like, no just didn't scare me. If I was going to say, oh, well, hey, can I write about this and this for you? And they would say no. It, it didn't. I just was like, okay, well, let me try somewhere else or let me try somewhere else. And I think that is again, sort of a product of that first job I had at the locker room in San Diego in my early 20s, um, but also part of my upbringing, obviously. I had just something in my early years. Thanks, Mom. Shout out to Mom. Oh, yay, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) That let me not be afraid of hearing the word no when it came to business. Um, we won't get into my personal life, but at least in the business world, I knew how to handle myself. Yeah, I've, as I've been like talking to all of these really successful women, it doesn't bother them when someone says no, and in fact, it fires them up. Like it pisses yeah. them off. Oh yeah. And then it's just yeah. even more motivation. I'm definitely I, like that too. Like I run ideas past my husband not because I want validation, but because he's like. I'm not my toughest critic. He is. He'll just be like, no, that doesn't work. And I'm like, I'll show you how it's going to work. Like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So Yeah, I think that's a better that's a better characterization of it, honestly. It wasn't that I minded or didn't mind hearing no. You're right. It just would get me pissed. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. You're not going to print this? I'll go to the next one. And you just keep using the no to fuel you to keep going. you're doing um yeah I I I definitely did not know that I wanted to be a journalist I mean I even honestly from when I so I was nannying and then I was babysitting still um you know went down to part-time which was great to just have like that you know cash under the table coming in because I mean even now as a full-time freelance journalist the pay is absolutely terrible but But um, when you're first starting out, it's even worse, you know, because you just can't yeah. get, the, get the money that you deserve at this point in your career. But what I was going to say is that I um, was still trying to, like, much more work in the film industry, and I was producing. So I was, like, mm-hmm. doing, you know, small, like, indie films with friends, you know, because of my organization skills, right? Like, remember yeah. those? <laughs> <laughs> those come in really, really handy in producing. I mean, basically as a producer, all you are is organizing things and in an intermediary between people. So mm-hmm. I knew how to do those things. So I started producing little short films and music videos and like regional commercial, like local commercials and stuff. And I honestly don't think I made a dime from anything. And I did call myself a freelance journalist as well, but I was always, I was like, I'm a journalist and producer. And then a few years ago, I I knew that I was basically putting I was I was trying to split a hundred percent into mm-hmm. two different places, and what I really needed to be doing to actually become known and to make a serious career out of this was to be putting 
you know, the proverbial 110% into yeah. one. And, and that's what did it, honestly. As soon as I just said that to myself, I said, you need to stop producing. Like, it's fun. It's, it's fun to do that with your friends, but the wave of writing was, was coming up way quicker than the wave of producing. And I knew that if I just put everything into it, I could really make something of myself. And I yeah. think I have. Yeah. I made, I made good money last year. I worked my ass off, you know, every single day of the year, like maybe not Christmas day, maybe. But I think I definitely still checked my email on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to hustle as a freelancer for this. Mm-hmm. Was it kind of scary when you decided you were just going to choose to focus on writing? I think every single day as a freelancer is scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just the last two weeks have been super scary because I wasn't getting any work. It's something that you learn to live with um and that's what we call stress and yeah. i just try and and combat it in other ways by going to yoga or having family dinners and going on trips like definitely traveling a lot um do you have any other like practical advice for people who are freelancers talk to everybody you know Talk to everybody you know or don't know in the industry that you want to go into. I mean, it's so easy nowadays. Go onto Twitter and find the features editor at at Vogue, if that's who you want to write for, and start to follow them. Start to have a conversation with them and ask if you ask for things. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying go out there and, like, with no clips under your belt, be like, can I write for you over a tweet? But, you know, if you can ask and give in the same, in the same sentence. I love that idea, giving and receiving in the same sentence. In this case, you know what editors want to receive? Ideas, actual pitches. For more on this, read my favorite piece on pitching ever. It's called How Not to Pitch, and you can find it on the Atlantic's website. A snippet. Don't pitch topics, pitch stories. That can take anywhere from one sentence to three or four graphs, but it's rarely longer. But if you ask enough people, somebody is going to say yes. Um, so, you know, maybe you don't go for the top editor of Vogue. Maybe instead you go for somebody like me, right? You, you notice that there's somebody else in your circle that you know that is freelancing for other places. And you say, hey, can I um, pick your brain about this? And I'm actually, as I'm saying that, I'm regretting saying that because I literally have no time to give free advice. <laughs> However, I do have, I have started charging a consulting fee. And you know what? It's really reasonable. And it's like, I will give you a shit ton of information. Um, and that's a whole nother topic about like charging for what you're worth, you know, charging for your time. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I won't get into that topic here, but that is my best advice. And so, yeah, just talk to people and, and ask questions um, and don't be afraid to do that because the worst somebody is going to say is no. Yeah, the worst that can happen is someone says no. And if yeah. you're cool, that's going to piss you off and you're just going to keep going. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You'll just keep asking. <laughs> um, I and be just- organized. Sorry, that's my yeah. Oh my gosh, you will never <laughs> become a successful, often published freelance writer if you are not organized. It's just it's impossible. There's just no way you can do it. 
because you are your own accountant, you are your own attorney, you are your own bookkeeper, you are your own editor and email organizer and breakfast giver and everything, right? Like nobody else is doing those things for you and you got to keep it organized. Yeah. I think the industry is really changing. You know, these old school magazine writers who are just used to having top editors who are like holding their hand every step of the way and like researchers who are making sure Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. spelling everything right. It's like, that's, not the way anymore. I worry about some of these, you know, more established people who are like, like, what are you going to do? When, <laughs> when your magazine, when your magazine folds. Well, you yeah. know what? I, but I worry about them too, because every time an editor gets fired or let go or a magazine folds or whatever it is, they're going to take all of our jobs. Because because they have more contacts than we do. The previous editor of Marie Claire, like the editor now of whoever else is going to hire them to write the story over me because they're just, they have more followers and they have more contacts and they have more that, right? They're just bigger and better. It's like Julia Roberts coming into an audition for a role. And I like using her for some reason. I don't know. It's like Julia <laughs> it's like Roberts. Julia Roberts episode. Yeah. Yes, I know. The mom and Julia Roberts episode. I love it. Um, it's like her coming into audition for a role that was really meant for, you know, it's like girl A, like coffee shop girl A. And then Julia's yeah. like, oh, well, I really want that role. Well, yeah, of course you're going to pick Julia Roberts. Of course. And it's nothing against the other girl that was auditioning for it. But I mean, fucking Julia Roberts wants the rules. So you're going to give it to her. So I think, like, I think you have a point. But also, feel like those old guard editor and chief editors and chiefs, mm-hmm. they don't know how to do anything for themselves. You know? Like, oh my god, someone, really? I hope so. Oh no! Like <laughs> they've had like the most basic things, like calling them cabs. You know, like picking them up from the airport. Like they don't have. Oh yeah. They don't have the hustle in them. Okay, not all old guard editors are totally helpless, but I think my point here is that there's value in being versatile, being resourceful, keeping up with technology, basically doing everything for yourself. Don't discount yourself just because you don't have your own office or an assistant or even a direct report. You are scrappy and the world is changing and that's not the norm anymore. Um, Any other like pieces of advice or lessons learned that we didn't cover that we should talk about that can be also like practical please always use 12 point font in times new roman like just that or you know it doesn't have to be that but something very close to that and always use that um and yeah keep i mean excel spreadsheets are your friend keep track of things in there um, or if you like to do it by hand, that's fine too. But for me, um, I, I like Excel. Um, you know, I track all of my pitches and what gets rejected and what's get, what gets picked up. And I have a news, an e-newsletter that I send out, um, about every six weeks, um, just so that people can see, you know, cause as a freelancer, I think people often, I feel like I, I can lose readers because they're like, oh, well, I don't know where you're published this month. You know, like, oh, I don't know where you're yeah. writing for. I thought you wrote for Vice. But I was like, no, I wrote for Vice, yes, that was four times. But then I also write for 18 other different places. So I started, like, two years ago, I started doing an e-newsletter. 
um, which is just my just a list of my pub, you know, and links to my published articles through oh, cool. the, the last four to six weeks. And I have gotten work out of it, and I have gotten more readership out of it, and it really helps. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, yeah, I, that's what people have said. It's really smart. I'm like, thank yeah. you. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> so many other people are doing it, but thank you. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Um, yeah, that's um, it for my advice. Um, okay. But I feel like I could talk about this forever. Thank you so much. Again, I've just been floored by the people who have reached out to, like, volunteer to talk about this stuff. And... Yeah, this has been great. I hope you had fun. I did. Thank you so okay, much good. for having me. It's it's really exciting to get to do to to do this um, and to you know help prop up other women and just be like, go girl, you can do it. Special thanks to Valentina for her time and insights. I love this episode so much and I can't wait to keep following her work. All right, that's it for now. Please follow the podcast on Twitter at LifeTKPodcast and on Instagram at Life underscore TK. Subscribe to my newsletter by going to LifeTK.com, scrolling to the bottom of the About page and clicking Updates. Search for me on Facebook and like that page as well. All right, guys. Thanks. See you next time.